So that's basically the first test you do serves as a warm-up for the second test. So the whole assess-reassess way of thinking is highly problematic. Can we trust our outcome measures? And can we ever really know the effect of our intervention on a patient? We explored this complex topic with Lars Avmarie. Now he has read a lot of research and writes so beautifully on this topic over on his blog. It was uh, really interesting to hear Lars talk about this, as well as instead of using outcome measures, what he looks for instead. This was a very insightful episode. I hope you enjoy it. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Lars. Welcome to be here. Thanks for the invite. We're going to start with outcome error. And and I thought we'd keep it simple to start, but what is the definition of an outcome error? Yeah, so basically, let me preface this by saying that in my view, we are reusing and recycling way too many errors of the past. So basically, these errors that I'm going to speak about are passed down from senior generations to new therapists and new graduates. So in my view, it's a bit of a paradox that we are actually reusing way too many of these known errors. And they sort of become a substantial roadblock to actually providing better quality care. So the outcome error is when a clinician believes that the patient's results and outcomes are a direct effect of our interventions. So in my view, we need to recognize and accept, and this is a hard one to swallow, that we actually can't show causation, meaning cause and effect in the clinic. And there's a great paper, short paper, on this by Herbert et al. I can give you the link later. So the the headline of the paper is Outcome Measures, Measures Outcome, Not Effects of Intervention. So basically, what we see in the clinic is outcomes and the patient's results. But those are multifactorial. So basically, it's not only the one hour we have a patient in our hands or in our consultation that impacts the patient. That's actually pretty um, pretty arrogant for us to assume that the one hour a week is where the magic happens when there are 100 and uh, almost 70 hours more of the week where they are not with us. And those hours can also impact to a large degree the patient. So basically, the paper notes that clinical outcomes are influenced by many factors other than intervention, including the natural cause of the condition, statistical regression, placebo effects, regression to the mean, and so on. And particularly regression to the mean and like the passing of time can impact a lot. So really, we can't tell if something works just for clinical observation and experience because we are not in a closed environment. How do you think this is affecting us? Do you think that we're making claims that say what we do in a treatment is what's causing this outcome? Yeah, many, many claims in therapy circles and the musculoskeletal field are claims of causation but it's often highly ignorant towards 
how hard it actually is to say that something specifically works. That's the main problem. If we just say that something works, that's a huge step up because then we can't say what works. And it could be most likely it's a category or a group of things that influence the patient, not only one. But we like particularly to, to home in on one particular thing. It's our manipulation. It's our high thrust, uh, velocity thrust manipulation. It's uh, our Mulligan treatment. It's our motor control exercises. It's our core strengthening protocol. It's our, yeah, whatever. So when we talk about, let's say, in one treatment, because if a week passes, we have all those factors you were, you were describing, let's say a clinician is using a range of motion measure, right? A very common thing that someone would measure. And they did some manual therapy and they tested the range again. The outcome has changed. So let's say the shoulder flexion is greater. What are you suggesting there that a clinician should should not interpret and maybe do or do not do in that situation? So basically the error is to assume that it's this particular movement or that you're correcting something in another person's body, which by default you can't. We know that even with manual therapy, we're not correcting anything. But even the test-retest protocol is flawed by many means by something, and this is a trick question I often give to people that do manual therapy or do magical treatments, is uh, how do you avoid falling prey to the effect of PAP? Actually, in most cases, they don't even know what PAP is. I was going to ask. Yeah, that was my next question. So that's the That's a big problem. If your method is seriously being biased by one effect, then you better know what that effect is. Otherwise, you're not self-critical. And PAP is post-activation potentiation. So that's basically the first test you do serves as a warm-up for the second test. So the whole assess, reassess, way of thinking is highly problematic because you're actually warming up the patient towards the next test they by default show that they are better. Yes, yes. And so if I keep that thought going, if I was to treat someone tomorrow morning, would you recommend I I not do a test like that? Is that something that you've adopted? Normally, I I want, of course, to see that my patients are changing, but I don't base my treatments on this type of reasoning. So I base my treatments on treatments where I hopefully should have some more objective data that it has an effect. So of course, I want to check if my patients are getting better, but I should have something with a high degree of objectivity. For instance, if I have a magical way of uh, creating muscle, then I want to have that method being backed up by solid, objective, scientific data. So that's basically my, uh, my foundation. 
But the problem is when we don't have this foundation, totally ignore it because we think that the method we have developed ourselves works only from outcomes. It's also, and our outcomes is also highly biased towards, they're sort of screwed towards positive results. There's a great uh, book from a scientist, Advice to a Young Scientist, I think the book title is, is covered. And he talks about the um, paradox and the paradox of goodwill, meaning that everybody who's in contact with the patient wants to help the patient. But that's a bias. You want to be able to help the patient. Then that sort of uh, creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that you and the patient turn around in. But you're resisting to actually look critically at if you are actually helping the patient. There's some good content. I'm just, I'm thinking about what I do as well. And I've followed your work for a long time. And I, I think on a conscious level, I understand on a subconscious level, I still find myself doing those things, like like measuring things that I know are not valid, not reproducible, but it's like, ah, oh, it's, it's something to hold on to. I guess if there's young clinicians listening, Laz, would you recommend to not do those tests? And do you prefer a certain batch of tests that are more valid? Or do you prefer to go off what the patient's telling us and a good subjective or what they can actually do in their lives now? I would rather go on uh, subjective measures, the patient's experience. Yes. Do they feel that they have become better? But I would not let their reasoning detour me into believing that that reasoning is actually valid. It can be valid, but it can equally be non-valid. If they feel that when it's raining outside, they get back pain. Okay, if we have solid scientific data that this is true, well, then we can say that it is. But if we don't have any data on it, then it's a narrative that actually, like all flawed narratives that we need to address. And normally I address those flawed narratives with Socratic questioning. So I ask questions. How do you know that to be true? What are you assuming by making that statement? And what are the practical consequences by that statement? What do you think is happening in your body when it's raining because you hurt? And have you looked at any instances where it rains and you don't hurt? Have you looked at that? Could this be a more simple approach then, Laz, if we... You know, I'm thinking when I leave uni, we're pulling out the goniometer and we're doing all these measurements. Could this be good news that we don't need to worry or stress or take up time doing all these measurements? Yeah. We might be more better off doing a higher intervention and explaining there's there's multi-levels to it. And we don't really know the one thing that's making you better, but this is the best path forward. Yeah. Basically, okay, uh, a patient wants to golf. That's their goal. Okay, let's make sort of the goal part of the test. How can we get you to actually golf anymore? Okay, do you have any movement uh, disabilities? Do you have movement restrictions? What is keeping you from actually being able to do the thing that you like to do? And then using our anatomy, our physiology, our neurology, our knowledge of these fields, 
how can we actually maximize the the effectiveness of the intervention that is focused upon the patient actually playing golf again. But it could also be walk again without knee pain. It could be everything. But instead of doing a lot of measures that actually has that are not directly or not even indirectly linked towards the patient actually fulfilling their goal. Okay, you should have perfect uh, range of motion, both active and passive in the shoulder joint. That's my goal. Well, the patient's goal is just to play golf. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't need perfect range of motion in the shoulder. There's a lot of unknown narratives we can give a patient, even just in the simple act of measuring, either no CBIC or placebic, and we don't really know at the time. Yeah. We have about two minutes left, and this might be a hard question to answer in that time. Say, uh, just sticking on those measurements, there is a possible placebo effect with the wanting to help, the second test, the PAP, and even someone saying or seeing a goniometer go forward, right? My shoulder has gone five degrees further. Or even if we say that, we've already impacted the patient. The question I have is, and this comes up on social media a lot too, how bad is it if we are applying or knowingly layering on this placebo effect? So a clinician says, I know there's placebo in the way I delivered that. I know that I showed them the goniometer and there's placebo in that. What do you view as the dangers of that? Yeah, it's a tough question to ask or answer within two minutes. But basically, (laughs) the placebo effect is part of most treatments. Just turning up, being properly dressed, being informative is part of the placebo effect. And if we look at the placebo, there's some parts that is up to us, how we carry ourselves. But a large part is factors that are not within our control. For instance, if our patient heard from a family member that you are really good at doing treatments, that can create a placebo effect through expectations. But we can't impact what Uh, the family member of a patient says about us to a patient. So a large part of the placebo effect is not within our reach. Then there's the, the variable nature of the placebo effect itself, which is also problematic. There was an epic study done, one of the largest studies on the placebo effect, and they found out that by large, the placebo effect is un non-consistent effect. It's a bit like a coin toss. Yeah. And I think it was something like 29% have had consistent non-reactions. About 55%, if I recall correctly, had consistent variable effects. So you didn't know if it benefited or not benefited. And then we had a small part that had consistent positive effects. That probably answers the question, yeah. We can't leverage it because we don't know. Basically, doing placebo medicine is wrong because the effect is not put in stone. Yes. So we can't make certain that there is an effect. But we can, and there's a great, uh, I think it's from the EASP, uh, the International Association of the Study of Pain, they have a newsletter on maximizing the placebo effect. But basically, if we look at the the ways of maximizing the placebo effect, 
it's actually just quality treatment. It's like uh, there's something called the five E's. Empathize, educate, blah, blah, blah. There's five E's. But to me, maximizing the placebo effect or the potential placebo effect actually just looks like a quality treatment. Listening to a patient, being empathic, empathizing with them, listening to them. So basically it goes hand in hand. But the problem comes when the only thing we have for us is the placebo effect. That's a problem that we can't do. We should have, hopefully, having taken a university degree, we should have something substantial to stand upon. That should be the basis and the foundation for our treatments. Lars, we need much more time with you. Could I point someone to a resource, your blog or your website to find more? Yeah, you can definitely point to my uh, blog or website. It's my name, LarsAvamree.com, and I have quite a few blogs there and articles written by me, all mostly concerning good colleagues and some of their reflections. Thank you so much for your time, Lars. You're welcome.